This is a feeling I don't miss at all. It's a feeling I haven't felt in the Pittman era before. It's a feeling I haven't felt in a long time. I thought we were done with this shit. I really did. I thought we were done with the embarrassing losses. I thought we were done losing games we weren't supposed to. I thought we were done with taking multiple steps backwards in the progression of our football program. I don't care that Liberty's ranked 23rd. I really don't care at all. We are 14 and a half point favorites for a freaking reason. And, you know, maybe... There's maybe two to three guys from Liberty that we that Arkansas would even welcome in the transfer portal. I know for a damn fact we wouldn't recruit any of them out of high school. There was such a difference in personnel from a talent perspective. It's not even funny. And Trey Biddy's walk and talk, I'd really recommend y'all listening to it. Kind of puts things into perspective after the game. But he said this is walk and talk, and I agree with him. To lose a game like that, you have to be outcoached. You have to have a bad mindset and flat-out bad luck. And unfortunately for Arkansas, that was the case on Saturday. And personally, I feel like I'm one of the more positive Razorback football fans out there, and it's really hard for me to think positively about the rest of the season after that shit show we all just watched on Saturday. I mean, LSU comes to town Saturday. They upset Alabama in overtime. All of us saw it. It was like a wild game. LSU's now put themselves in the driver's seat of the SEC West. Obviously, nine and three is out of the picture, but I want to ask y'all a question: Is eight and four that realistic? At this point, I just want to go to a damn bowl game. But like I always say, we got to take it one week at a time. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode twelve. I don't know the Spanish number for twelve off the top of my head, so here we go. But in this podcast, we provide information vital to the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. Top two, not two. Additionally, we preview and recap weekly matchups, provide recruiting news, and updates about professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. Now, like most of you all, or I hope most of you, I love Sam Pittman. I really do. But that's not enough to be the head coach at the University of Arkansas. Because the offensive performance that was that was displayed on Saturday was the worst I've ever seen in the Pittman era and the worst I've seen in a long, long time. There, there's no other way to put it. That was a gut-wrenching loss that that we endured against Liberty, 19-21. to 21. We're now 5-4 and four on the season. After winning two straight SEC road games, or not two straight SEC road games, but two straight road games at BYU and at Auburn, I thought we were about to dog walk the Flames. I know we're still one game away from being bowl eligible, but that just seems like an extremely tall task at this point. A few hours before the game, we all got text or word that KJ might not play due to injury, which is something that took me by surprise. I don't know about the rest of you, but I had no idea he was hurt. He didn't really show any signs of being hurt in the Auburn game or the BYU game, and we just hadn't heard anything regarding an injury of his. But I think he's a lot more banged up than we think even – from what we saw Saturday because, you know, that's understandable. He's 6'3", 245 pounds. Sure, he's a big-ass dude. But it's understandable for a guy that takes as many hits as he does. Pittman talked about in his presser how he, in quotes, discussed with Browse on the possibility of putting Malik in for KJ. And that thought honestly never really crossed my mind 
during the game. But after thinking about it, you know, we weren't able to get anything generated with KJ. He's not 100%. Make a change. I mean, dang, God dang it, Sam, you're the, you're the MFing head football coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. You're the daggum CEO of the team. Don't ask your coordinator for permission. Put Malik in. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit with the permission aspect of it, but you got to make that call yourself. I understand trusting your coordinators, but make that call yourself. And to make things worse, Jaden Hazelwood seemed a little bit frustrated in his postgame presser. He essentially said that Malik had taken first-team first reps all week, and then KJ took snaps on Saturday. Hazelwood's full quote, end quote, this week, Malik Hornsby was getting most of the snaps and thrown to us. I don't know who is starting coming into the game, just like you all, end quote. Yeah, that, that's on the coaches to really communicate that. It really is. Then to add to it, I'm sure you all heard of the news. Miles Slusher and Anthony Brown got arrested on Saturday for disorderly conduct. Both those guys put their hands on a police officer. I don't care what the situation is, and especially in their case, when they wouldn't get out of the daggum street in front of Z in front of Z-Bar, don't touch a police officer. What the hell are you doing? When is touching a police officer done any good? I mean, just get out of the middle of the road. Just, I, I, actually, I don't know the situation, so I just, going off of what I read, I'm not going to go into it anymore. All of that, all of those things just happening one after the other with the, you know, the awful loss, the comments made in the postgame presser, this all, these are all just a signs of a season spiraling out of control. The locker room being lost, the players quitting on the coach or the season. And yes, I'm probably exaggerating right now because all of it's fresh on my mind. But I mean, am I really exaggerating? I can't be the only one thinking this. I don't think this will be the case. But this thought hasn't ever popped into my head with the Sam Pittman team before because we don't lose games like that at all. Those days are behind us. I thought after... The Texas game last year, you know, winning games that we weren't supposed to win last year, that that, sh- that this shit we, we saw on Saturday was over with. I really did. This team has a lot more talent, top to bottom, than last year's team. I think everyone could agree with that. But what we're lacking is leadership. We're lacking a vocal leader in the locker room. We're lacking someone who can get in another player's ear if they need it. We're lacking someone who can fire up the team. We're lacking the voice of Grant Morgan, Joe Fouché, Hayden Henry, and guys like that last year. I mean, we really do. That's what we're missing. This loss hurts, and it and it should hurt because SEC West teams don't lose games like this. If you want to have – SEC West teams don't lose games like this, and there's a perception of Arkansas and a belief that the perception of us is an upward trajectory, that we're more of a sure thing now. And the loss Saturday just delivered a massive blow to that belief. The perception now, or up until Saturday, was that Arkansas was no longer a laughing stock of the SEC. And like I said, was a for sure thing. It's taken a blow. The only way to get back to it is to respond by beating LSU, beating Ole Miss, beating Mizzou, or just proving to us as fans and proving to yourself as a team that we are no longer a laughing stock, that we are for sure thing, that the perception of us being in an upward trajectory is true. I still very much believe in Sam Pittman and that he's the man for the program. But you can still be but you can still admit that he got out coached Saturday. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It really doesn't. You can agree with that one statement. Yes, he got out coached against Liberty, a team with way less ability and talent than LSU. Two of our next three games are at home. 
LSU's rolling into a Fayetteville on a high after beating Alabama on Saturday. But Arkansas has a chance to do the most Arkansas thing ever on Saturday. What that is, I guess we'll find out. All right, as much as I really don't want to do this, we're going to recap the Liberty game because that's what we do in the show. Before we even get into the statistics or anything like that, I think we all know that we just got flat-out whipped at the line of scrimmage on Saturday, especially our offensive line. Liberty just flat-out wanted it more than us across the entire aspect of the game. But the glaring statistic, 14 tackles for loss. Yeah, you heard that right. 14 tackles for loss. 1-4 is the amount that Liberty had on us, along with sacking us four times. They tackled us a total of 18 times in the freaking backfield. What the hell happened to our offensive line? We went to sleep. I mean, woohoo, you know, whoopick suey, the ball's kicked off. Blink of an eye, we had 10 carries for negative 20 yards in the first quarter. I've never seen that happen in the Pittman era. And hell, I don't even remember when it happened to Clown Morris either, but, you know, it probably did there, but that's beside the point. We hang our, our offensive identity is that we hang our hat on playing physical offensive football, lining up putting a hat on a hat, and flat-out running the ball down your damn throat. And no one's been able to really stop it all season. They haven't. Alabama limited limited it, sure, but we were never at a point in the game where we had double-digit carries for double-digit negative yards. Not one time. Then a group of five team out of middle of bum shit nowhere, Virginia walks in here and shuts it down. What? An SEC West team boasting the sixth best rushing attack in the entire country, gets dominated at the line of scrimmage by a front seven at a group of five school that held us to a season low in rushing yards. That makes me want to throw up just talking about. And one thing about doing this podcast, I have to relive this shit essentially two times over. That's what makes it so much worse. We all know this offensive line group is so much better than that. They really are. I mean, they have nowhere to go but up. On Saturday, when LSU comes into town, I know they can be better than what they showed on Saturday. I know they can. On top of that, KJ looked hurt from the first possession on. I didn't really believe he was injured until I saw him throw one of his first go routes to Matt Landers. And I know KJ, sure, he has his inconsistencies at times, but throwing a deep ball isn't one of them. And he severely underthrew Matt Landers on double route. We still completed it, but Matt Landers had to wait on the ball to get there. Whether it was not making the right read or sitting in the pocket flat-footed, KJ was just flat-out too hurt to run the damn offense as effective as he normally can outside of the final five minutes. And even then, you could still tell he was hurt. You could tell he had a cortisone shot in his shoulder or wherever the hell else was hurt on him. We all know a healthy KJ Jefferson. He's a baller. But we also can all recognize that he was not himself on Saturday. Too many times we started out second and long, third and long. We were constantly playing behind the chains. Our average yardage to gain on third downs was 10 yards. 10. Against Liberty. That's ridiculous. Just stupid. I mean, we, we looked like freaking Dak Prescott with the Dak and dump out there. Just drop back. It'd be third and five or third and 11. Let's throw it three yards from the line of scrimmage. I don't care if they were taking everything downfield. They were giving us the middle of the effing field. Liberty did what they thought they would. They loaded the box and made us throw the football. And sure, they might have had the greatest game plan of all time coming off a of bye week, but I don't care. We are a better football team than them. Nine or Ten times out of ten, 
94 times on Sunday. They were leaving the middle of the field wide open. They were giving it to us. Slants, screen passes was just the easiest way. Just the first two things I can think of off the top of my head to combat a team that constantly brings pressure and runs man-to-man. I know it's easy to diagnose this after the fact. I really do because I don't like to be the person that does that. But it's not like we haven't seen that strategy before. This has been opponent strategy all year is to shut down our rushing attack and to make us throw and to constantly bring pressure. We know how to beat it, but we looked like we never knew how to beat it on Saturday. This game's 100% on the offense. Our defense essentially lived on the field the entire first half because we couldn't generate anything offensively. I know I talked about last week how KJ does a great job of valuing the football. It was two interceptions Saturday. I'm only putting one of them on him. His second interception was just to throw that out of frustration because he just flat out forced it. He, I, I know good and well he saw that deep free safety sitting there and he still threw it. His first interception is not on him, and I think it, if this – if, K- if Trey Knox catches his pass, I'm not sitting here pissed off on the podcast, and none of us are p- as pissed off as we are now. KJ threw his best ball the whole day, hit Trey Knox in the freaking breadbasket, hit him in the numbers. Should have been six, but nope. Well, you know, just typical Arkansas curse, I feel like. Ball bounced straight up in the air, landed in a Liberty defensive back's hands, flat out sucked the air out of Donald W., and I don't care that we had 428 yards of total offense. I don't give two shits. I'm just tired of this offense not showing up for four quarters of football. It took us 55 minutes out of a 60-minute game to move the damn ball. 55 minutes. What? The, I mean, we were asleep for two hours until the final five minutes of the game. We have a great offense. We, we I know that. You know that. My grandma Norma knows that. We didn't show it Saturday at all. Even when we were driving down the field in the final five minutes, that wasn't us. It, we've never had to be in that situation. I know KJ is our guy. I know he is. He's he. I'm rocking with KJ all the time. But good lord, we couldn't get anything rolling, and especially if he's hurt. I'm always going to roll with KJ if he's 100 percent healthy. I always will, and I'll always stand by it. But if he's not healthy, we can't get anything rolling against a team like Liberty. Make the change to Malik. You know if if. Malik comes in and screws it up, go back to KJ. At least you tried. At least you tried something different. Malik showed that he's capable of moving the football in this offense, and especially against the SEC West defense. He did, and Not that he even played an SEC defense, but you know what I'm saying. He moved the ball well against Mississippi State. He really did. If it doesn't work with him, like I said, go back to KJ. Change was needed. As some of the positives offensively, Matt Landers and Jaden Hazelwood, those guys are really, really good for us. They really are. You know, you know Landers might not be – as explosive as everyone thought he was going to be out of camp, but he's had three straight 100-yard receiving games, three. I, mean, I don't even know if Traylon had three straight. I really don't. I know he had at least two. Yeah, I don't know if he ever strung together three straight last year. Not that I'm comparing Matt Landers' talent-wise to Traylon. I'm just trying to put something into perspective. Hazelwood is a great yard-after-catch option. As we all know, dude doesn't shy away from contact, and I love that about him. He had eight catches for 86 yards. Keytron had chances to make plays Saturday, but he was overthrown about four times. I think he was targeted five of the or five times. Got overthrown on about four of them. My biggest positive was Rocket Sanders' third and twenty first down conversion in the second half. Dude's different. Caught the ball with about seventeen yards to go. Ran straight to the sideline. Cut up field. Broke a couple tackles. Converted the first down. I mean, that was just a play. You got to sit back and just. 
kind of be wowed by. That was really, really impressive. That guy's really, I mean, he's so damn good for us. We're very, very lucky to have him. As for the defense, say what you want about the defense. The game's not on them at all. That's the lowest point total they've given up all year and were the main reason we were able to stay in the football game. The worst part, sure, is that Liberty had their third-string quarterback in, and he threw three TDs on us in the first half. But we did our job in the second half, shut him out in the second half. But 14 of Liberty's 21 first-half points came off a block punt and a turnover on downs. They great field position. Hell, when's the last time Arkansas had to go for it six times on fourth down in the game? I can't remember the last time. It just kind of puts everything into perspective that you need to know. Like I said, defense shut out Liberty in the second half. We had numerous stops on third and fourth on on short yardage, third and fourth down scenarios. Bennett had five completions after halftime. But how about Quincy McAdoo? Shout out Clarendon, Arkansas. Leave that guy in the damn game. Leave him at corner. Kid's a natural, honestly. Sorry about your Malik Chavis, but go back to the bench. Quincy came in, blocked the punt, had a fantastic interception, flat out ripped the ball away from that receiver, had a pass breakup at a couple tackles. Sure, he gave up a catch or two, but that's expected. Just first game at cornerback, and he hadn't. Quincy's playing the Saturday at corner. You know, he's listed as the, the weed backup behind Chavis, but we're going to see 24 again, I guarantee it. Hawks at Liberty four times, made life tough on Bennett in the second half. But we're going to have to bring it Saturday because we're about to face the toughest dual threat quarterback that we've played all season. Another thing that I've realized is that the Razorbacks haven't played very well at home at all this season outside of the South Carolina-Cincinnati game. I, I don't know what it is. Most teams start slow on the road but don't start slow at home. We're the polar opposite. We start slower slower at home than we do on the road. It makes zero freaking sense. Missouri State started out down 17-0. to Transitioned two weeks later to Alabama. Spot them 28 points before we woke the hell up. Then we spotted Liberty 21 points before we woke up. We eliminate our own home field advantage when we do that. It takes the crowd right out of it. Just poor effort. we, We put ourselves in a deep hole that's really, really hard to climb out of that We've only been able to climb out of one time at home. Pittman admitted this in the post-game press conference. He was concerned with where his team was mentally leading up to the game, that we didn't play inspired football on Saturday. But the question I have to follow that is why is that the case in a game against a ranked team with bowl eligibility on the line, and how does it get fixed moving forward? All in all, it just seems like this loss was more than just one step backwards for the program. And we don't have long to mope about it, we got LSU and Ole Miss coming to town. They're licking their chops to play us in the next two weeks. I hope the boys can regroup, learn a lesson from Sunday, show some fight against LSU, respond, catch LSU sleeping. In terms of how we respond to a loss, it starts from the top, trickles down through the staff to have the players ready to go. Sam owned that in his press conference yesterday. I respect the hell out of him. He owned that. But it's also on the players to take some responsibility. But I really do think we can respond Saturday because Saturday, because this past Saturday was the worst possible performance we could have ever put against a team. And I know it's Liberty, and we're about to play against a top, probably a top six-ranked LSU. But the Hogs have the opportunity to do the most Arkansas thing of all time Saturday, and I think y'all know what that is. It would be the most Arkansas thing ever to turn around and beat the LSU Tigers on Saturday after we lost to the MFing Liberty Flames. I know it, and you know it.
All right, previewing Saturday's matchup in the other half of the Golden Boot rivalry. We're talking about the LSU Tigers, who will probably be ranked in the top seven, I'd say, once Saturday rolls around. I called it my first episode of the season on this podcast. LSU's either going to be rolling into Fayetteville as one of two things, the nation's hottest team or a team that's reeling. And unfortunately, that team ain't reeling at all. Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers come to town after knocking off Alabama 32-31 to in overtime in Death Valley. Handing Bama their second straight loss, and honestly, I can't tell you when it was when Bama lost, or when the last time it was a Bama lost two straight games. I really can't. It's definitely well over 10 years. Somehow, LSU's only two and a half to three point favorites against us on Saturday, but Vegas knows something like I always talk about. Arkansas is going to have to play absolutely flawless football to, to surprise us all on Saturday. Brian Kelly might be as cringeworthy as they come. He's a good football coach. He's got this group rolling. Here's who to look for on Saturday. LSU's got arguably the most dynamic quarterback in the SEC and maybe even the country right now. He's playing with a lot of confidence. He's been rolling since their loss against Tennessee. We're talking about Jaden Daniels here. He's been on an absolute tear. So LSU offense is averaging about 35 points per game. Formerly an Arizona State Sun Devil. Jaden Daniels has thrown for a little under 2,000 yards this season at 1,994 yards on 187 of 268 yards passing. That's about a 70% completion percentage, which is very impressive. He's thrown 14 touchdowns and one interception. He's also run 131 times, 619 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Yeah, this cat's dynamic, to say the least. He's been on a tear his last three games. I think he had like six touchdowns against Florida, and I think he's accounted for more than four in every game they've played since the Tennessee loss. But he's been sat 32 times, so this team averages about 257 yards passing per contest. Now, LSU sees more production through the air than on the ground over the course of the season, but they run the ball extremely well. I'm just talking about Average yards here. They average more yards passing than they do rushing. That's the only reason why I'm saying that. It might seem like the other way around on Saturday because that's the way it seemed as of late. But LSU showed everyone against Ole Miss that they don't need to throw the football to have success. They threw the ball well against Florida in, that, in a shootout. I think it was 45-35. And against Bama, Jaden Daniels accounted for three of the Tigers' four touchdowns, two through the air, one on the ground. When Jaden Daniels rolls, this offense rolls. And when that offense rolls, this team rolls. We're going to need to load the box and spy on him just to not let him get loose. He's a better version of Robbie Ashford, except Jaden can throw the ball. He doesn't think twice about tucking and running on design pass plays. And honestly, I think this is where he's most effective because Arkansas is going to need to make Jaden beat us through the air, kind of pull a opponent's preparation against us, how they prepare for KJ. We're going to have to make Jaden Daniels beat us through the air more so than with his feet because if Leo is contained of him, it's going to be a long, long day. Rushing-wise, outside Jaden Daniels, they operate by a massive committee. They have four running backs they'll use, and they average about 184 rushing yards per game. The first the first of four is Josh Williams. He leads his group of four in carries, 73 carries, 359 yards, and five tutties. He's got the longest rushing touchdown of the season for the Tigers. Small running back, probably 5'9", 5'10", little over 200 pounds. I like to use him in the screen game a lot. Armani Goodwin, 5'11", 
43 carries, 261 yards, and five touchdowns. Kind of reminds me of a Chris Ivory-type running back. Smaller back, runs extremely hard, gets downhill quick. He leads the Tigers in yards per carry. Noah Kane, 35 yards, 190, 35 carries, 191 yards, and four touchdowns. And then John Emery Jr., 45 carries, 180 yards, and one touchdown. <clears throat> now, receiving-wise, LSU's got four receivers and one tight end with 20-plus catches, and I act like that's impressive at this point in the season. It doesn't really surprise me since we're going on game 10. Yeah, going on game 10. Most believe Keyshawn Butte is the most dangerous, but I'd probably lead towards Malik Neighbors. Speaking about Malik Neighbors, he's got 42 catches, 504 yards, and one touchdown. He leads his team in catches and yards. Duke can flat out go get the football. I've seen him make some incredible catches this season. Averages about 12 yards per catch. He's very, very, very slippery after the catch, too. He can get loose in a heartbeat. Hogs going to have to wrap, wrap up or else he'll get loose on us quick. Now talking about Mr. Butte, Keyshawn Butte. He wears a coveted number seven, which is only worn by next-level talents at LSU. It's what Tyron Matthew wore, Winter Fournette wore. I think Grant Delpit wore it. Jamar Chase was going to wear it until he opted out of the 2020 season. But as for Butte, he's kind of had down season compared to his expectations. I know he's coming off injury, but he has 34 catches, 339 yards, and one touchdown. And like I said, he was expected to be one of the SC's top receivers this season. While he hasn't, he's still got the big playability. Dre Jenkins, 6'2", 210. He's the most underrated Tiger receiver. He leads our team in receiving touchdowns, and he scores on every fourth catch. Statistically, he has 20 catches, 288 yards, and five touchdowns. Brian Thomas Jr., big-bodied target, 6'5", 205, 14 yards per catch. Got 20 catches, 280 yards, and three touchdowns. He uses his length to win 50-50 balls, primarily primarily used when LSU takes shots downfield. Mason Taylor, true freshman, enriched his name in history Saturday night after catching the game-winning two-point conversion to beat Alabama in overtime. He's 6'5", 250, big-bodied kid, 22 catches, 215 yards, and two touchdowns. Pretty solid numbers for the young, and I'm not going to lie. He's used a lot in the naked schemes, RPO actions, love to hit him in the flats, and he's pretty slippery as well. He doesn't really go down on initial contact. LSU's offensive line group, like we talked about, giving up 31-plus sacks on the season, but the running threat that Daniels brings to the table helps them out a ton because if they get beat off the line of scrimmage, they'll just take off and run. They do run block extremely well, but they're pretty inconsistent with pass pro. This will be another test for our D-line. And we have to cause some form of disruption at the line of scrimmage where Daniel's going to carve us. Our defense took a big step forward the past two weeks. Now let's see if we can continue the momentum. Defensively, it's going to be one of the most athletic defenses we've faced the entire season. And we got some familiar faces amongst that defense returning to Fayetteville. Greg Brooks, Joe Fouché, we all know them well. And damn it, we miss them too. Both these guys start in the secondary for the Tigers and they made some very, very, very solid plays for them in the secondary of the season. Outside of them, though, I'm mainly just scared of their front seven. Last year's LSU team wasn't much to brag about, but they really tested their offensive line. They constantly brought four or more defenders. They twisted, they stunted, they speed rushed, they bull rushed, you name it. They were trying to get in the backfield any way they could besides bringing the initial four. And I 
would expect to see a lot of the same on Saturday. I mean, they gave Bama offensive line fits. They brought pressure on what seemed like every freaking play. They blitzed from different angles. They got 19 sacks on the season, nine fumble recoveries, six Oskies. So along with being able to you know, make life harder on a quarterback, they have the ability to generate turnovers as well. <coughs> KJ being the dynamic playmaker he was was 100% of the reason we won the game last season in Baton Rouge. With him being banged up this year, definitely raises concern on how effective he's going to be avoiding the pass rush that LSU is going to show us. I know we shouldn't have to rely on KJ to break three-plus tackles and evade press, pressure, but the offensive line played like dog shit last weekend, so they can only go up from there. Give KJ just a little bit of time to throw the football, allow our playmakers to go make some plays, allow us to get open, just give us a little bit of time to, to let a play develop. They're going to take a page out of Liberty's book and load the box, stop our rushing attack, then make KJ beat us or beat them through the air. I hope we can fix our mistakes from Saturday. I really do, because if we don't, this LSU defense is going to feast on us. It's one of the first main road tests that LSU is going to face the entire season. And I believe it's only their third road game coming coming in off that Bama hangover. And the Hogs just might be able to catch LSU sleeping. But that requires some key aspects to our game plan, which we'll touch on later. Century, um, early on in the season, so you get to get to really test yourself. Trevin Brazil will flush again. 16 for the Mizzou transfer. Yoder just scored for the Bison. That's a wild shot by Hostrader that's off the mark. A little bit of a ragged stretch. But there's Council again! The reverse slam from Ricky Council! <laughs> Highlight reel tonight for Ricky Council. Alright, talking must-bus. Recap of the North Dakota State game. At least the basketball team cheers up a little bit. Gave some good vibes last night. Hogs knocked off a solid North Dakota State team. 76-58 at Bud Walton Arena. Hogs didn't cover. Don't care. We got the dub. Came out with some great energy in the first half. We're very aggressive in front of our home crowd. Student section was popping last night. They were giving out free jerseys. Kind of looked clean. I'm one of one myself. Built an early lead. But after we forced North Dakota State to struggle to get off a shot early, they settled in, took advantage of some uneven, sloppy hog offensive stretches. But thanks to our effort on the defensive end, we were able to keep the Bison check. Went on a 13-5 run in the closing three to four minutes of the first half to give us an eight-point cushion at the break. Hawks came out aggressive in the second half, very much the opposite of how we did in Austin. We opened up the second half on a 13-1 run to push the lead to 49-31 at the first media timeout. While North Dakota State once again settled in and cut it to 11 with about eight to play, while North Dakota State settled in and cut it to 11 with about eight to play, that was the closest they would get the rest of the game. I was lucky enough to be able to go to the game last night, but after watching the game, re-watching highlights and research, here are my takeaways from last night's contest. Rotation takeaways. Now, I'm not talking defense. As we all know, must doesn't have a set starting five or rotation until about mid-January. So obviously, lots of questions amongst us fans are throwing around about who starts, who finishes, you know, who earned the trust of coach, yada, yada, yada. But we got some of those answers last night. Obviously, we heard the news of NSJ, right knee management for precautionary issues. We can only hope that's minor. I've heard one to two weeks. I've heard six weeks. I don't really know what to believe. But I hope he comes back sooner than we all expect. But the Arkansas starting five was a rotation we haven't really seen much. It was A.B., Devo, 
Ricky Council, the fourth, Makai Mitchell, and Kamani. TB2, Trev- Trevon Brazil came in for Kamani at the first media timeout, about four minutes into the game, followed by Jordan Walsh, who came in for AB after that. And even as Ricky Council got a blow in the first half, Makai picked up his second foul at the 12-minute mark of the first half. That core of seven really stayed intact until we saw Joseph Pinion enter the game as the eighth man at the 6-08 mark. And surprisingly, the ninth guy off the bench was not Jalen Graham. It was not the other Mitchell twin. It was freshman guard Darren Ford came in with 4.44 left to go until halftime. <clears throat> to start second half, Hogs went with the same starting five, but we all saw we quickly went to a small ball lineup with Brazil at the five and Walsh at the four. Call it small ball. Their length really makes up for it. Walsh picked up his fourth foul. Barry Dunning came into replacement instead of going back to a traditional front court piece like Makai Mitchell. Jordan Walsh fouled out with over 10 minutes left to play. A.B. scared the hell out of us by rolling an ankle, but that led to Joseph Pinion and Makai getting a little bit more time than they probably were expected to get. Now, A.B., TB2, Devo, and Ricky Council all played 30-plus minutes. Makai was right there around 20, and Jordan Walsh, I believe, was just short of 20 at, at 18 minutes before he fouled out. Here's what Musk had to say on the rotations in quote, Obviously, roles are really shuffled around a short amount of time. We changed up the starting lineup even today. All week, we've gone with a completely different starting lineup. Two new guys basically in the starting lineup at shoot-around. We put Ricky in there at the last minute, and I really think it benefited us. End quote. Secondly, a better start. After what I'm sure was a long, long week of practice filled with weighted vests and bricks in hands, high-hand closeouts, Hogs looked ready to roll last night, which is a Really good sight to see out of a young team full of a lot of new faces. The boys were aggressive out of the gate. Really emphasized attacking the rim offensively. Devo drew a foul in the first first possession of the game. A.B. turned the corner on a pick and roll for a driving score. Ricky Council had six quick points <clears throat> on a coast-to-coast finish. Turnaround jumper and a crafty finish inside. Makai Mitchell and Kamani did a lot of the dirty work. Set a lot of on-ball screens early on. Razorbacks forced four, four early turnovers and looked really, really fast and really physical while settling into the game with an 11-8 lead at the first media timeout. This was a much better start than we had against Texas. and I know we started out hot against Roger State, but I'd say this was a better start than the Roger State game as well. All right. Thirdly, getting it done without Nick Smith Jr. Obviously, Nick Smith Jr. is going to be a centerpiece of our offense. We all know that. My grandma Norma knows it. But most likely a lot of what Muss implemented this summer offensively probably involved Nick Smith Jr. getting the ball in probably every possession. So when he was off the floor in Europe, we saw the team struggled. And even during some excuse me, and even some during exhibition play, which left all of us to question who's gonna get a bucket besides Nick Smith Jr. Well, Arkansas had a three man show last night. As for the guard play, Ricky woke the hell up. I know he hadn't made a field goal in the first two games. That changed last night. Devo played really well. Both of them had eight eight points apiece at half. Found lots of success getting downhill and attacking the rim. Brazil had seven points at the break. Had a corner three. Nice lob finish. All three of those guys picked up right where they left off in the first half. Devo scored the first four points before Ricky and TB12 went absolutely crazy for the next eight-plus minutes. These three combined... To score, I believe, each of the Hawks' first 24 points out of the half, 
Yeah, first 24 points of the half. We built an 18-point lead by the second media timeout with about 10.54 to play. So to end the night, Ricky absolutely baptized a kid, capping off his 22-point performance. Brazil wasn't far behind with a double-double of 21 and 11, and Devo had 18. Trevon Brazil hit 10 threes all season last year for Mizzou. He hit three last night. If that dude can somewhat be a threat from deep, watch out. Dude's going to be a matchup nightmare for anyone. Now people are starting to realize why he's starting to appear on big boards for the 2023 NBA draft. If he can shoot like he did last night, Jordan Walsh won't be the third hog taking the first round of the 2023 NBA draft. I can guarantee it. Moving on, Hogs in a dry spell. Yep, defense got us. After we scored 14 points in the first five minutes of play, the rest of the half was filled with a lot of offensive dry spells, some sloppy play for Arkansas on the offensive end, and especially until Nick Smith Jr.'s back in, back in the lineup, there's probably going to be some stretches where the points are somewhat difficult to come by for this team. The same North Dakota State team has hit double-digit th- threes in each one of their exhibition games leading up to Monday night. Hawks held him to 5 of 21 from beyond the arc and 33% shooting from the field. Musselman said the goal was to limit them to five or less threes. Next, for the last of my takeaways, progress with turnovers. From Europe to Arkansas to Austin, Texas, turnovers have been an issue for this team. We average about, I'd say, 20 a game through Europe in the exhibition game. So valuing the basketball has definitely been a major emphasis of improvement after that abysmal showing we displayed in Austin. Devo had a few early turnovers start the game, but he settled in, cut out all those turnovers. We only had six at the break, our lowest total of the season. Then start the second half, we only had one turnover through the first nine minutes of play where we put the game out of reach, and we finished the game with 11 turnovers. So it's pretty good, honestly. We also took high percentage looks for the most part, didn't force a lot. We did take a lot of turnaround jumpers last night, but most of them fell, so I really didn't care. Musselman did communicate an interesting tidbit to his team regarding North Dakota State's defense and, quote, North Dakota, North Dakota State's defense, it's compact. They don't cause a lot of turnovers. You look at how – you look at, like, how Las Vegas NHL team plays, and they're kind of the same way. It's like a prevent defense almost. We shouldn't have had 11 turnovers. At least nine of the 11 turnovers were self-inflicted. Probably all 11, but I thought we did a really good job, end quote. Now I'm going to add something new. I'll probably start doing for all basketball games is a post-game report card. I'm only really going to talk about the guys who got significant minutes last night. Trevon Brazil, A+. A++++. Stat line, 21 points, 7 of 14 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3, 4 of 5 from the charity strike. 12 boards, 1 assist, 1 block, 2 turnovers. He was plus 12 <clears throat> in 32 minutes. After he missed his first two shots, it honestly looked like Texas 2.0 all the way, but he turned it around. Had a great day, home debut as a hog. Consistency is going to be the key with this kid moving forward, and there are improvements to be had. But when it comes to guarding in space, throwing the post, walling up with strength rather than going for a block against opposing bigs, those are the things you really need to improve on. But it's hard not to walk away impressed by what he did last night. Ricky Council, A, stat line, 22 points, 9 of 14 shooting, 1 of 2 from 3. 3-6 from the charity stripe. He had three boards, two dimes, one block, one steal, one turnover. was plus 20 in 36 minutes. It's a hell of a stat line for that kid, especially coming off coming off the first two games he had this season. I know he's a late add to the starting lineup. His best game as a hog this far. 
Came out firing, scored early, scored fast, was 6-7 in the second half, including a three. Numerous showings of Jelly Fam, Big Lay, murdered a kid. Great scene performing well because we're going to need it. That athleticism that kid has, that's league athleticism. Makai Mitchell, B+. Stat line, eight points, four or five shooting, four boards, three seals. <clears throat> One assist. He was plus five in 20 minutes. I'm telling you, hop on the Makai bandwagon now. I've been telling you that for a while. He looks better each in each appearance. He got the starting nod as well last night. He was saw in the pick and roll, set great screens with good angles. He also showed some showed some nice back-to-the-basket moves as well. Devo, B, just flat-out B. Stat line, he had 18 points, 6 of 14 shooting, 0 of 2 from 3, 6 of 8 from the charity stripe, 6 boards, 0 assist, 5 turnovers. Yeah, that ain't good. Two steals, one block, plus 20 in 39 minutes of action. It's tough to grade Devo. It always is. You get you either get real good with Devo or you get real bad. You don't really get a whole lot in between. But <clears throat> Musk talks about how Devo needs to be a strong scoring guard whenever NSJ's out or having a bad night, and he delivered last night. Looked like Jimmy Witt last night back in 2020, getting downhill, finished at the rim, just shooting a shit ton of turnaround jumpers. But he does need to improve on his turnovers. He's going to have to handle the ball a lot this season, and five turnovers to zero assist is not going to cut it. A, B, A, B, C? Yeah, I'm giving him a C. Stat line, three points, one of seven shooting, one of two from the field. Had seven boards, three assists, three robberies, two turnovers, one block, plus 14 in 30 minutes. Overall, across the board, not bad. We all know that scoring is what's the last thing to come for him. He's got about everything else you need, but I know you all did. I held my breath when he went down, rolled his ankle, had to be helped off the floor, but he came back later on the contest. Still wasn't his best game, though. He was able to get to the he was able to get to the rim fine, but he missed four layups after he made his first one. But the more of a threat A.B. is as a scorer, the more dangerous and dynamic he's going to become as as a distributor. There was definitely a drop-off when he was off the floor, but the more dynamic this kid becomes, the more dynamic this team becomes as a whole. Jordan Walsh, I feel like this is kind of cr- cruel, but I give him a C+. Plus. Uh, stat line was only four points. It was 1-1 one one from the field, 2-2 two two from the free throw line, had three assists, two boards, but fouled out with over 10 minutes left in the game. He's plus 12 in 18 minutes. Has some nice drives to the bucket. His hand was coming along. He's becoming more of like a small ball four that is able to attack perimeter mismatches, maybe even post him up as well. Defensively, he can play more of a wing, disrupt passing lanes. But at the end of the day, you got to clean up the fouls. Can't be fouling out of games with 10-plus minutes left. It's unacceptable. Kamani Johnson, essentially was just out there logging steps last night. No points, one steal, one turnover, played nine minutes, was plus four. Box score won't always tell the story for Kamani and his production. Really, he's not going to be some crazy stat sheet stuffer, but he shows a lot of high energy on the defensive end. But when you get the start at center and you go scoreless, shotless, boreless, get hit with a flopping tech and then an offensive foul in the same minute, it's not ideal. I'm not going to grade the rest of the guys, like I said, because none more, none got more than nine minutes of action. These grades are really on how each player impacted the game, not their individual play or like a player-to-player comparison. This team's going to be really freaking fun to watch. They're going to be really, really fun to watch. And it was really good to see that we're already improving on some of the mistakes that stuck out 
in prior matchups. So notching a comfortable win over North Coast State's really nothing to write home about, but showing improvement after the blowout in Austin is definitely something to write home about. Guys stepped up last night. They need to step up. Hodge got the first W of the season in blowout fashion. Was it perfect? Of course not. But all things considered. All righty, keys to victory for the Arkansas Razorbacks against the LSU Tigers on Saturday to keep that boat. Hogs have a great opportunity to get back on track this weekend against a hot LSU team and keep the boot where it belongs here in the natural state. So going forward with keys to victory, I'm going to start allowing more and more people to share their ideas and keys to victory for the Razorbacks and upcoming matchups across whatever sport. So this week, the keys to victory are brought to you by Mr. Joseph Richardson. Now, how you know or remember Big Joe is up to you. I'm sure we all got a story. And Mr. Hunter, I still wear transitions gross since old Bones decided not to participate last week. But first, we'll start out with Mr. Gross, who put minimal effort into this. But, you know, that's what we expect out of Big Slinky. But I'll put a spin on it as well. First key to victory for Mr. Gross is don't fook it up and keep that boot. As many of you know, Hogs were able to capture the boot in Baton Rouge last year after an overtime win against the Tigers, sent Edo's ass packing. It's been since 2014. 2015 that the Hawks successfully defended the boot, defended that boat. So, by God, Gross, let's get it done again. Now, for not fooking it up, I'll rephrase it to quit hitting snooze and wake up. Now, this is something it doesn't take transition glasses to recognize. This football team has a serious problem with starting out our first offensive driver two with three and outs and punting in the ball away in under a damn minute which keeps our defense on the field, which leads to being down multiple scores early. We have a great offense, but not an offense that can casually climb back from double-digit deficits. Hell, not many offenses can do that anyway across college football. Hogs need to just wake the hell up. Come out with some firepower. Give your defense some breathing room. If we come out flat against LSU, this game is going to be over with quickly. And by God, let the booze rain down from the heavens. Next, moving on to Big Joe's three keys to Razorback success. Respond with adversity. LSU's going to try and throw McGregor haymakers and go for the knockout. We have to be able to get up off the mat and fight back. Next, fly, excuse me, flip the field. Defense has to flip field position more than once in this game to give the hog offense some short field situations and good field position to not have to go the length of the field to score the football. Fly to the football. Gang tackle. Linebackers are going to have to spy on Jaden Daniels. I think we should put Poop Paul on him to spy and let Drew Sanders just chase his ass all over the field. And we're going to have to be able to wrap up in space to avoid big plays. Lastly, coaches can only do so much. This is Joey's best point, in my opinion. Coaches can really only do so much. And, yes, our coaching staff deserves a hefty amount of blame for last week. But our team is extremely talented top to bottom. Sometimes it's just about players making plays and playing well. Hold your block one more second. Lay out for a diving catch or a pass breakup. Lunge for that tackle to trip someone up. Stay in your gas on special teams. Go get that 50-50 ball and flat out just leave it all on the gridiron. All right, to cap off this week's episode, we got everyone's favorite, the mailbag. And it's going to be fun this week. All right, we have about just many questions last week, so let's get into it. First question, any way to explain how the top-rated offensive line in college football 
was abused so badly Saturday. Well, Zachariah, we got flat out whipped. Never would I thought, or never would I have thought, a team that speed rushes would give us such problems. I mean, <clears throat> Liberty's got the second smallest defensive line I think we've played all season. They just stunted and twisted all over us. I mean, that was embarrassing. We got whipped, flat out whipped. I mean, that, we had to sleep at the damn game. I mean, more than half the damn game, we went to sleep until the fourth quarter. This offense, all in all, just was a lifeless during points of the game like we didn't want to be there, and that can't ever happen, and especially at home. We have to respond this week, and we have a great opportunity to. Nick Smith Jr. injury update, haven't heard a whole lot from it. I'm sure we'll hear more as the week goes on. I will bet you $100 that he's not playing Friday, though, and maybe not on our first game next week. Might be holding him out till Maui Invitational. Next, is Pittman too loyal to his coordinators? If turnover, who should get the boot? I had a feeling these questions would be coming in this week, but I don't think Pittman's too loyal to his coordinators. I really don't. I mean, you have to be loyal to these guys as a head coach because as a head coach, you're only good, you're only as good as your staff. Across, or that goes for across all sports. I mean, I do think he should have put his foot down and made a change at quarterback on Saturday. That's the only case where I see why folks would think he trusts them too much. But to answer your question, no. I do not think he's too loyal to his coordinators. As for turnover, though, I think we mainly see it on the defensive side of the ball with the big name being Barry Odom, which I think we probably all knew was coming. But offensively, I think Kenny Guyton's got to go. you got all the damn talent in the world, and, yeah, Guyton's got to go. Next, what do you think we did as a program to get this curse, and how do we stop it? Man, I don't know. Uh, it seems like you can't ever catch a break. I mean, there's – Numerous examples, I feel like, every month. But just a big one I can think of off the top of my head when it comes to football success and stuff like that and being cursed. Last year, you know, after or a week after the Outbet Bowl, fresh off our first nine-win season, beating a good Penn State team, stuff like that. First nine-win season since 2011 with drama break out in the locker room. You know, Greg Brooks hit the portal. Fouché hit the portal. Jaden Johnson was hit the portal. Jermaine Hamilton Johnson hit the portal. And apparently there was drama with the coach. Yada, yada, yada. Just like, thought to myself, we couldn't soak up success for a week. We just won nine games for the first time in freaking forever. And this shit happens. I don't know what we need to do to remove the curse. I really don't. The the, the devil side of me wants, wants to say that we need a new group of Burles kids because we all know those are the same damn kid, kids each week. I'm kidding, but I do think, or I did think initially the switch back to Coke products was going to do the trick, switching back to Coke from Pepsi, but I don't know. I think we maybe cut ties with Papa John's Pizza. Shit's terrible. All right, final record and bowl projections after this loss in Bama losing to LSU. Final record, final record. Um, if we win this weekend, we're winning out, but I could also see us losing this weekend beating Ole Miss and then beating Mizzou. Winning out gets us to 8-4, and four, and we likely go back to a bowl similar to last year, which is great, like the Outback Bowl or the Orange Bowl and the Gator Bowl or something like that. It would be either on New Year's 1st or right before New Year's 1st. But if we go 7-5, and five, I see the Texas Bowl, which is currently what where we're slated to play at, and we play a Big 12 team. Now if we go 6-6, six and six, that's got Birmingham Bowl written all over it. As for Bama losing to LSU, yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, I think most – would think being the home team, you wouldn't go for two in overtime, but it's Bama. I don't blame Brian Kelly for going for it at all. That was Brian Kelly's first time beating Saban because Saban just slapped him around all throughout their history playing against each other. But 
tied have lost two in a row. What would be the most Alabama thing ever is to find themselves in the playoffs, you know, with absolute turmoil happening to end the season. But thoughts on Big Booty Mix 22? You know, Nick, I've never listened to Big Booty Mix, but I did today, and that shit slaps. I'm all about it. Yeah, I love that. Listen to the entire hour. Shit banged. All right, will Arkansas fire both coordinators after the season? Um, No. No. Kendall's either going to stay or get a head coaching job somewhere. Bryles isn't the issue, and he hasn't ever been. I've been saying that for a while. Now, for Barry, even depending on how the defense finishes the season, I think he's probably on his way out. Yeah, I think he's done. Are projecting starting five for basketball at the end of the season? Barring injury, I think the starting five at the end of the season is going to be Anthony Black, Nismith Jr., Trayvon Brazil, Makai Mitchell, and Ricky Council. Yes, I think Jordan Walsh will come off the bench. What football staff members get canned at the end of the season? Well, that's the third one. Uh, I talked about it a little bit already, but like I said, I think Guyton needs to go. Say what you want about the tight end coach, but I think he you give him one more season with this influx of talent we got coming in with all three of those tight ends. I mean, because he's currently working with an overrated tight end recruit and a converted wide receiver. Now, Deke Adams, say what you want to about him, do get one more season as defensive line coach because, honestly, I'd say he's doing pretty well with what he has right now, which is all transfers, some belt talent, but a lot of that is probably just a testament to Drew Sanders, Landon Jackson, and Jordan Dominic. I don't know how good he is about actual – Defensive line development. We'll see. Let's see. Is Pittman not acting like a head coach at times, or is it him fully trusting his coordinators? Uh, It's him fully trusting his coordinators. I mean, you have to as a head coach. You have to, or they shouldn't be your coordinators. And I honestly don't really know what you mean about how he's supposed to act as a head coach. I really don't. I'm sure if we talked about it in person more, I'd have a better understanding. But if it's on the field, he 100% acts like a head coach. Same off the field. I mean, I never had a complaint about Pittman when he's on the microphone. Am I excited for basketball season more now? Uh, yeah, woohoo! I'm very excited for basketball season. But I'm also very much excited about the rest of the football season. I know I sound like a crackhead when I say that, but whatever. All right, LSU wins the West and beats Georgia. What happens? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Can't imagine if Brian Kelly won the West in his first year. That'd be wild. Um, LSU beats Georgia in the SEC title game. They get into the playoff 100%, even as two-loss team. I, yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. It'd be crazy because Georgia would be a one-loss team and Tennessee would be a one-loss team. I don't know, but they won the SEC title game. I think you got to put them in. I think only one SEC title or one SEC team gets in the playoffs because I could see how you make the argument for two, depending on how the SEC title game pans out. Is this the worst loss under Pittman and best program win for Liberty? Yes and yes. We haven't lost a non-conference game under Pittman, and regardless, that shit was awful on Saturday. Liberty hasn't beaten an SEC team ever in its football's program's existence. I don't think K. Daniel can fat-check me on that, but Hugh just gave himself an absolute massive resume booster W. Bowl prediction after that loss. Currently, we're slated to play Texas in or, excuse me, we're slated to play in the Texas Bowl against K-State in Houston. Been to that bowl game. It's a lot of fun. We beat Texas' ass last time I was there. What happened? Where are you as a Hog fan right now? Graf, good to hear from you, brother. I've missed you. Absolutely. I don't know if you're in Wyoming. I think you're in Wyoming, but I love all the high school football updates. Shit's real up there. 
Hogs need to start recruiting up there. But I don't know. Graph, it's a roller coaster of a season. And I don't know. As a fan, I'm always optimistic. But Saturday was about as deflating as a loss as I can remember. I still believe in this football team. But until they prove me otherwise, it's just hard to be positive about football right now. What are my thoughts on the Brian Kelly era so far? Well, Mr. Cohen Corona, I still hate the Cubs. They suck. I know. You're just catching strays. Whatever. But um, LSU made the right hire. I don't think Brian could have bounced back any better from the start he had to the season, you know, after the getting kind of clowned by the media after the fourth state loss. But beating Bama secures your job for like five years. So hats off to BK. He's done well so far and honestly kind of better better than I expected for his first year. Do they really call Arkansas razor frauds? No, Jesus Christ, Chase. No, they don't. You're the only person who calls us the razor frauds. I know, you know, the excessive use of hair gel and, you know, blah, getting, you know, cause some brain malfunctions. Keep rooting for Notre Dame in that overrated-ass program. I'm still waiting to hear your answer as to when you became a Grizzlies fan, by the way. And since you love Bam Wagons, the Jets are good. You can hop on ours or you can run behind it. I'm sorry. Thoughts on Slusher? in Brown's arrest. Just a bad, 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 bad look, honestly. Like I talked about earlier, the trickle-down effect. Especially after what happened Saturday, I think a disorderly conduct should be handled behind closed doors, to be honest. I don't think it warrants a suspension because we really need slush for this game. Um, you know, Bama takes care of that shit behind closed doors. They really do. And, you know, if this happened third game of the year, I would understand a game-long suspension, but... We need to win one more bowl game or one more game to go to a bowl. So I think you handle that shit behind closed doors and let Slusher play on Saturday because we're really going to need him. All in all, just don't touch, don't touch a cop. All right, lastly, what bench player will have the biggest impact on the basketball team? I'd say outside of Devo, um, probably Ricky Council if he doesn't start. We're going to need scoring off the bench, and just in general, if A.B. can't get it going, and he showed us he can last night, but only time will tell. That wraps up this week's episode of Views from the Hill. I really appreciate all the love and support you guys are giving the podcast. It's made this podcasting journey a lot of fun, and I would love to get more of you involved on it the more and more episodes that I make. I'll start bringing some people on every now and then just to you know banter back and forth and things like that, but we're less than 100 plays from 1,000. Like I said, I appreciate all the love and support you guys have given it. Once you listen to it on Spotify, please leave it a good review. But do you guys think the Hawks can finish 8-4? and four? Do you think we can cap off the season on a positive note after what seemed like we took three steps backwards? I think we can, but I'm just extremely optimistic. Hopefully the next time I see you guys, Hogs have kept the boot, we're headed back in the right direction, and we're going bowling. See you guys next week.